Welcome to Vote 2016 election coverage. I'm Enrique Cerna, along with Joni Balter, KCTS 9 political analyst. Well, he is now President-elect Donald Trump. How he won the presidency, what it means for America and the world are just some of the questions we'll take up with historian Rick Schenkman, founder and publisher of the History News Network. He's also a best-selling author. His latest book is Political Animals, How Our Stone Age Brain Gets in the Way of Smart Politics, which I would imagine maybe a lot of people that voted for Hillary Clinton are wondering about the people that voted for Donald Trump in in this election. So what do you think happened here? Yeah, I'm clairvoyant, apparently, when we came up with that title over <laughs> yeah, a year yeah. ago. Hey, good job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what's happened here, it's, it's, it's complicated, and yet I think it's also simple. There's a concept in social science called loss aversion, which is basically if you have something and then you lose it, you really feel intensely that loss, the working-class white a male in particular, demographic, has felt like they are losing their place in society. And this can be defined in multiple ways. Their economic place in society, their social status, the fact that they're white and all the politicians are always talking about black people or they're talking about gay people. They're talking about all these minorities and they're talking about just the old, regular, white working class. FDR always talked about the white working class. He didn't say white, it was implied. But you knew who he was talking about. They feel excluded, and they feel it intensely, and I think that is what's going on here. Donald Trump, in his way, he wasn't a, a, a politician, really, at all. He was uh, a businessman, maybe also really an entertainer, but he took that message to them and you know, started speaking, as he would say, I am your voice. Yeah, well, uh, he figured it out. The politicians hadn't figured it out, and I'll give him credit for that. He devised a, a strategy that would appeal to the white working class. Uh, unfortunately, uh, he did it, I think, in the most negative way imaginable. I mean, uh, Richard Nixon did it with kind of winks and nods, and even Reagan did it with kind of a wink and a nod. Uh, and his with, sunny optimism. And a sunny optimism, yeah. So you could almost forget during the Reagan years that what he was talking about quite often was the white working class, and there was kind of an undercurrent, uh, an undercurrent there of racial, uh, not animosity, but kind of a hostility to these other people, and we're going to have the government that's going to focus on white concerns. The voters in Donald Trump's presence feel smart. And this is what the other politicians haven't figured out. So the other politicians have been characterizing the mainstream media and characterizing these voters as low-information voters. But at a Donald Trump rally, they feel smart because he is validating their basic instinctive reactions. If you see an ISIS guy cutting off the head of some human being, you get really mad and you get really angry. And that is a basic uh, human response. And there's nothing wrong with that human response. But the mainstream media will tell you, you can be angry at this, but you can't then say, we have to ban Muslims. It's not all Muslims. It's a subsect. It's these extremists. It's these violent people. Well, to a Trump voter, 
that means, oh, I've got to keep quiet about what I'm really thinking. And I kind of feel small and biased and bigoted in the presence of the mainstream media and these other politicians. You go to a Trump rally and all of a sudden what he does is he validates you and he says, you're thinking that, I'm thinking that. And you know what? I'm a smart, rich, powerful man. I'm a billionaire. I'm a multi-billionaire. So in his presence, they feel smart. And don't they care about when he's wrong? Or his lies, or you know. Well, now this will get to the other uh, part, which okay, is the truth. Okay, so um, the voters don't care about the truth. Uh, human beings in general, we think that we all care about the truth. We don't care about the truth. As Steven Pinker at Harvard, an evolutionary psychologist, says, what we care about is the truth that validates our pre-existing beliefs. That's what we care about. Our That's what truths. evolution, our own truths. Right. Exactly. That's what evolution favored. It didn't favor us valuing the truth with a capital T. So, all of these uh, voters, when they hear Donald Trump caught out in one lie or another lie, they don't care about it any more than the voters in the 1980s cared when Ronald Reagan bollocked up one story after another, after another, after another. So Donald Trump must have known uh, about the, the anecdote that you used about how people respond to ISIS, because I noticed in a, in a couple of the debates, whenever he would get backed into a debate-type corner, he would say ISIS. He would just say ISIS, you know, almost just like the word. He seemed to know that that was a connecting point, quite a big one. Well, the Washington Post reviewed my book, Political Animals, and they said, hey, did Shankman just release the manuscript in secretly to the Trump campaign because they seem to be following all of his lessons from social science and uh, uh, the other sciences about how the human brain works? The book is about our brain on politics. And Trump seems to really have a sophisticated understanding of it, whether it's intuitive or somebody actually sat, sat him down and told him, here's what the social science research shows. I don't know. But he does seem to have a grasp of it. What does this say now about the future? And, of course, we don't know how he's really going to govern because he hasn't really governed before. Uh, we, that's yet to come. But, but what, is, what does it also say? What does this say then about how he might govern, how he's going to be, uh, you know, his policies, these types of things? All right. So first of all, I got to put in the my usual disclaimer, which is historians can't even agree on the past, let alone start <laughs> the future. And then when disclaimer we talk, noted. All right. And then secondly, when we talk about uh, the past is prologue to the future, that works when you have a normal candidate. Donald Trump is not a normal candidate. There is no way on earth to predict how he is going to perform in the office. Most of the time, we can't predict how a normal politician is going to act in the office because there are there's no precedent when you are a politician in the American system that prepares you for what you face when you actually are in the office. Harry Truman said it's like riding a tiger and you just hang on and hope that you don't get swallowed up. And how can you possibly prepare for that? You can't. Donald Trump can't predict what kind of president he's going to be. Yes, but employers will tell you when they're looking for employees that they do think that past performance is a predictor of future conduct. And so all we have is, is the way that we know him. We know him from a campaign. He's erratic. 
He's unpredictable. Uh, he needs to be separated from his telephone, uh, his Twitter account. <laughs> uh, that's one of the reasons it was all quiet for the last 10 days before the election. Somebody finally, I can't believe it took this long, it's breathtaking that it took that long, took his phone from him so he didn't say anything super scary crazy. So that means he's better get some good staffing here. That is, somebody's going to have to control him. Look, I could spin all kinds of scary scenarios for what kind of president is going to be. So uh, let's just uh, really frighten the hell out of your audience. <laughs> Go! Um, let's start there. So, um, and this story ends with the end of the American Republic. So here's how the story begins. Donald Trump gets into some kind of a, uh, um, pardon my French here, a pissing match with the leader of North Korea. And it gets personal for him. And tweeting about this guy, uh, Kim Jong-un, isn't good enough. He decides, you know what, I'm going to be the president who stops North Korea from having nuclear weapons. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to drop a nuclear bomb uh, on them, and we're going to take over that country. So he calls up the Pentagon. He says, make up your plans. This is what I want to do. And they say, no. At that point, you have, in effect, a coup. And I believe that the top leaders of the Pentagon are mostly—they're uh, not Dr. Strangelove. They're mostly pretty rational people. They are not going to want to drop a nuclear bomb on North Korea or anywhere else. And at that point, we have a coup. I don't know how it ends, but uh, the American Republic will not be the same after that kind of an incident. Because once you cross that line, we're no longer exceptional. One of the things that has made this country exceptional is that we are a big military power, which has always had the civilian control of military power. That might end under a Trump administration. Now, that's just one scary scenario. I can't predict the future. None of us can really predict the future. You know, but a lot of folks are saying that, you know, some of the things that Donald Trump promised to do, that they were almost like campaign winking, like we were referring to earlier. Is he really going to break uh, the Paris Climate Agreement? Is he really going to do that? Is he really going to put up a wall? Or was he just sort of signaling to his voters this, you know, this is kind of what I believe, but it's not like he's actually going to do that. And is he going to replace Obamacare with nothing and chase all those people who newly acquired health care off of it? Or is he going to just kind of fix it a little or mess with it a little? Well, we've seen that he can change his mind on a dime, and uh, that's interesting. So he's capable of that. Just personally, he's capable of that. Although human beings, social science research shows, like to be consistent. Now, he's apparently uh, less inclined to be consistent than most of us. Most of us, once we that stake could be a, a good position. Thing, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's good to be uh, flexible and plastic, particularly in politics. All politicians uh, prefer not to be pushed into a corner where they have to uh, take one kind of action over another kind of action. They like to keep their options open. John Kennedy uh, reprimanded one of his aides once at a cabinet meeting when he said, Damn it, I want you to not squeeze me like this. I need to have the room to maneuver. Don't push me into a corner like this. So that's, that's common, and that's, that's uh, uh, Donald Trump acting like a normal politician. But here's the thing. Um, let's say 
that I'm going to make a binary prediction. Okay, I, I've been saying I'm not going to predict. I'll make a binary prediction. So that was prediction, so easy. All right. So yeah. Well, you've been torturing me here. So I'm finally, <laughs> I'm finally surrendering under this intense pressure of questioning. Okay. So here's here's one uh, possibility, which is uh, we know he's going to build a wall. I I think that that's that's set in concrete. If he doesn't. It may be in concrete. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if he doesn't build the wall, I think uh, uh, his presidency would collapse. He, he's got to build the wall. Uh, but let's say uh, it's this question about, am I going to throw out of the country 11 million people? We already saw during the campaign that from day to day, he kind of hemmed and hawed on that. One day, he was throwing out 11 million people. The next day, he says, I'm going to be humane about it. I'll let them come in, come back in. They've got to leave the country, but then they can come in, but they got to get in the back of the line. If we're talking all about the this. same day, it was in reverse order. All right. Well, we, yeah, right. OK, but he's been all over yeah. uh, the issue. But here, I think, is where uh, there's a binary prediction I can make on a couple of these really key issues, the wall, excluding Muslims, and throwing out the undocumented workers, if he does it, it's going to be catastrophic. It's going to be a cluster. You know what follows that word. If he doesn't do it, it's going to be catastrophic for him because his people believe there are a few red lines that he's got to pay attention to. And I think these are the three red lines, the three things I've just talked about. The wall, the Muslim ban, and the immigrants, uh, uh, undocumented immigrants uh, being forced to leave the country. He also made fun of Obama not following his own red line. Yeah, exactly, in Syria. Uh, you know, hang on, wait for the wild ride. Every single day of Donald Trump's presidency is going to be a wild ride. I mean, so imagine the Pentagon guys come in and they say, look, we have evidence that the Russians are behind the hacking of the Democratic Party emails. And he says, I don't believe that. What? Let me call Putin, he says. Let me <laughs> give him how a quick that, ring. How, how does he run the government when the people who are in the government give him information. At this point, it's not a matter of, um, I don't believe them. They're telling you this. This is it. These are your people now. It's your government. You've got to take responsibility for this. What do you do? I don't know. Maybe he leaves governing up to Mike Pence, as he uh, suggested, uh, uh, apparently, Sarovace, uh, during one meeting with uh, that a reporter heard about and was reported a month or two ago. Let's talk about the Republican Party now. Uh, because he has come in and just really shaken it up completely. And um, what, 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 where is their direction now? Well, what is the Republican Party now? I mean, Paul Ryan in the House, is he going to survive? I find it hard to believe that he's going to survive because the Freedom Caucus now is going to feel empowered. They've got their guy in the White House, and they're going to want to say, why should we put up with Paul Ryan and his kind of— mincemeat, middle-of-the-road Republicanism. We want a, a true believer in there. So I think there's going to be a huge fight in December, uh, and Paul Ryan will be lucky to uh, save his speakership. Um, what is the Republican Party? They have given up on neoconservatism, which kind of died a death in the uh, desert of uh, Iraq, right? Uh, George W. Bush uh, put a uh, stake through uh, that 
uh, part of the uh, Republican Party. Um, then the other part of the Republican Party is the evangelical Christians. Okay, so they came along for the ride here because they think he's going to put uh, Trump is going to put uh, a Scalia type uh, in uh, the uh, uh, vacant uh, seat on the Supreme Court, and there may be two to four vacancies by the time he's over with uh, his presidency is over with, um, and they'll finally get Roe v. Wade. Uh, overturned. Um, so that part of the Republican Party, I think that they probably, that's still part of the Republican Party. Um, the Paleolithic conservatives identified with uh, Patrick Buchanan in the early 1990s. Um, I think that part of the Republican Party stays intact. Now, how about just the Bush family uh, <laughs> Republican Party? That's dead and gone. It yeah. says it's dead and gone from the moment Jeb Bush raised a hundred million dollars, and did he even get you know a uh, hundred delegates out of that? I mean, Those were expensive delegates. They were, yeah, wh whatever he got, he you well, know he overpaid for him. Well, you know, as much as we expected to be doing wither the Republican Party today, we also have to do wither the Democratic Party because to be fair, one of the reasons that Hillary Clinton lost was. She had a few flaws, but they, the Democrats, didn't really have a big bench. Where is their bench? Well, I think the Democratic Party actually has a very big bench. It's got um, uh, the uh, uh, Hispanic mayor of uh, uh, San Antonio. The Castro brothers. The Castro brothers and the other one who's in, the, in HUD or right. whatever they call it now. It's not yeah. HUD anymore. Um, you've got uh, Cory Booker in New Jersey. I mean, you've got some really capable uh, people in the Democratic Party who are in responsible positions. Um, it's Elizabeth that, Warren, I guess. Elizabeth Warren, um, she's uh, a possibility, although the fact that she didn't jump in this time, it's kind of, you know, you have your moment in politics. I think she had a moment here. She let it pass, so maybe she doesn't have the I national ambitions. she was ambitions. blocked, though. They were, they were told there's someone in front of you. Who, Bernie? She, she, Bernie? No. <laughs> yeah, well, she was told Bernie and Hillary are in front of you. Yeah, but you know what? In modern politics, since 19... Really, the late 1950s, John Kennedy proved this. There are no bosses anymore. Uh, you self-select. That's how you get to be a presidential nominee or uh, a candidate, at the very least, who's running, if not the nominee. There's no bosses in the background saying, oh, here, tap this guy on the shoulder. The bosses didn't want John Kennedy to run for president. He ran anyway, and he won the nomination. He became president. So, um, well, the same she, is true of Trump. I mean, the bosses exactly, didn't want exactly. him either. Exactly. So, if she had the fire in the belly, she would have run. And it doesn't it doesn't matter that some other politician is in the way. That's not what somebody running for president in the modern era has to really think about. So, I think she just doesn't have it. She doesn't have that spirit. It doesn't diminish her in any way. I don't have it. I wouldn't want to run for president. Going forward, our political system, uh, is where is it going now? Well, if my scary scenario doesn't come true and it's not the end of the republic as we know it, um, it's going to depend in the end on is he successful enough that he wins a second term? He could just be a one-term wonder. Jimmy Carter had very little impact on the Democratic Party. Uh, he was a one-term wonder, and at the end of the day, 
It's like the Jimmy Carter Democratic Party. No, it never it never existed. It's possible that Donald Trump could just be a one term wonder. But I choke on these words. I suspect he's actually around for quite a while and he is changing uh, our politics because he's changing the Republican Party into the party of the white, working-class, low-information voter. Okay, let me come back on this, then, okay. because there is that. But America is changing as well, exactly. the demographics. The oh, dem well, he's up against the demographic yeah. tide. Yeah, so he's up against it, but it's not till 2050 that we become a minority-majority country. Well, it's only 2016. There's a lot of decades between then and now. And if you can activate um, the white working class to come out and vote, uh, you can win a bunch of elections here. And this is actually to let me double all the way back to your original question about the pollsters. Why did they get things wrong? We don't know yet. We're going to wait for this data to come in in the next couple of days. But what the turnout was. So if there is a 1% shift in the turnout of the white working class vote. That's enormous. In other words, let's compare it to the Hispanic vote. If the Hispanic vote goes up by 10%, well, that's big. But it doesn't compare to the white working class vote going up by 1% because the white working class pool is so much larger. Is that what the pollsters missed? Who was turning out to vote? I'll tell you who didn't That's miss it is Donald Trump didn't miss it because he was talking about our movement. We're reaching people we never connected with before, and they're coming out on behalf of me, Donald Trump. Exactly. And here's the problem that we've all got. Uh, we're all sitting around this table here, and we've been through election after election after election. And how many politicians have we heard say that? Donald Trump said it, just like all the politicians in the past who were down in the polls who said, I've got this secret vote. And it turns out he actually did have a secret vote. Although, let's point out this, it's worth emphasizing this, Hillary Clinton won about 200,000 more votes than Donald Trump. So that's, that's noteworthy. Has to be noted, yes, indeed. All right. Historian Rick Schenkman, he's the founder and publisher of History News Network, uh, as we also mentioned, he's a best-selling author. Uh, Political Animals, How Our Stone Age Brain Gets in the Way of Smart Politics. That's a great title. It's his latest book. Uh, we shall see what happens here going forward here, Mr. Shankman. And uh, as a historian, I, I mean, you're going to keep your eye on this. I Got another book maybe in, in the works? You know, when I finished that book, I said, that's it. That was, uh, took me five years of research, and it was so intellectually demanding. I said, I'm too old. I'm 61 years old. I'm too old to do something else. But now, with watching what's going on here, maybe I changed my mind about it. You just re got younger. Re-energized. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We took you back about five years. All right. This has been Vote 2016 election coverage. For Johnny Balter, I'm Enrique Cerna, and we'll talk more later. To hear more podcasts from KCTS 9 Digital Studios, visit kcts9.org slash podcasts.